the last chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 28. We'll begin reading in verse 1, and we will read through verse 10. 1 through 10 in Acts chapter 28. I will be reading out the New King James Version as is my custom. God's Word declares, Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Last week we saw the necessity of giving heed to the revelation of God. In Paul's case, that meant having to listen to a man on a boat out there at sea that says that God appeared to him, an angel appeared to him, revealed, declared certain truths to him, and as always, the revelation of God... um, in itself, how do I want to say this? Um, does not deliver. The revelation of God in and of itself does not deliver. It demands. The revelation of God demands a response that can lead to deliverance. We tend to believe that, well, if they just read God's word, that they will come to deliverance. But the fact is, many have read God's word and have not mixed that information, that knowledge with faith, and have not been delivered. And thus, the revelation of God, independent of man's response of faith, will not deliver. And so Paul gives this revelations, and it is dependent then upon the individuals in the boat with him, in the ship with him, to heed that revelation. Paul tries to influence them as strong as he can. And uh, at first they, of course, last week didn't obey. They didn't follow his, his advice based upon the revelation of God. And they paid the price for that and are paying the price for that in our passage even to this point. Uh, and Paul rightly says, I told you so. 
If you would have listened to me, you could have avoided all this, but you didn't. You didn't want to heed the revelation of God. Now, I do want to just backstep one thing, that without the revelation of God, there can be no deliverance. Okay? So it is vital, it is critical. Faith, um, just for faith's sake, is not sufficient to deliver. And so, when you read the little t-shirts, just believe, or believe it, achieve it, and dream it, uh, somehow, if we believe enough, things happen. No, it is what you're believing in, and what that is a call to is believe in yourself enough. Um, And the revelation of God is very clear that believing in yourself will not get you very far for very long. Might get you a little ways for a little while, but not very far and not for very long. Even those that seem to have achieved something in this age come to that time very quickly after their great quote-unquote achievements by believing in themselves to a point of despair. And so we see heroes, quote-unquote so-called heroes, in our sports world or in the world of business or in the world of the military and we see them great, have made great achievements and then we see them wallow in self-pity and despair shortly thereafter. They have nothing really to live for because they have nothing substantial to believe in. So yes, the revelation of God is necessary for there to be any deliverance. But it is not all that is required. But it is required. But it is not sufficient in and of itself. For if it were, then it is certain that every single person that crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and sat at the bottom of Mount Horeb and heard the voice of the Lord would have been delivered. But none of them, of that generation save two, were. They died in the wilderness. For the revelation of God, while there is sufficient information and sufficient revelation for deliverance, is insufficient in and of itself to cause deliverance. Requires the faith of man. Requires man to accept it and to decide based upon that revelation how he will live. And so finally we saw last week that the captain, the centurion, recognizes this revelation is genuine. It's the real deal. I need to listen to this man, Paul. And by his heedance to the revelation of God, all were saved. Because he listened. And so even Paul's life and the other captives that should have been slain before letting them try and have an opportunity to swim away or escape. I don't know where they're going to escape to. It's the only island around here in Malta. Um, They were delivered because a man responded to the revelation of God. In the midst of this, though, the one to whom the revelation has come, the one who has already received, has already made the declaration, I believe God. He has made that very clear. I have believed the revelation all along. And so his challenge to everyone, and we tried to touch that a little bit last week, was to take heart. 
and I didn't get a chance really to finish that idea, is that once we have the revelation of God secured in our life, and we have fully invested ourselves in it to the point of obedience, then we need to take heart that God will do what God says he will do. That if God says he will save me from my sin, he will save me from my sin. If God says I'll be eternity in his presence, I will have eternity in his presence. If the promises of God are granted um, to those who by faith have received his revelation, Jesus Christ, they are accomplished. And so Paul says, I believe it. And so take heart. His statement is, take heart. At least I believe it. And and God's going to grant this because I have trusted in him. And I fear that there are many, I'm not under the persuasion that every one of the passengers on this boat are delivered from their sin, become followers of God. But they are going to ride the wave of blessing because amongst them are at least two who do believe the revelation of God. And really there's four at least. Because I'm pretty sure Paul's two companions, Luke and Epaphroditus, believe too. So we have four. That is the man who is actually making the decisions now based upon Paul, the revelation of God to Paul. We have Paul, we have Luke, and we have their other companion from Thessalonica. And so we have Aristarchus. I think I said Epaphroditus, but it's Aristarchus of Thessalonica. And so we have these four, and, and all of them are going to be blessed by the overflow of four out of, does anyone remember how many are on this boat? Oh, I didn't. There's a, uh, a couple hundred, I think. 76, 276, verse 37. Yeah, I didn't underline that. I don't usually underline just certain facts. I have certain things I'm circling and things in my Bible. So 236 souls on board. 76? Sorry. 276 souls on board. Four, we know, believe the revelation of God. So we look at 272 people that have an opportunity to benefit. And it is certain that just because they are the benefactors of that blessing and have an opportunity to take heart. They're told to take heart repeatedly. Paul keeps telling them this, which is essentially, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't be in despair. Um, the promises of God are real, they are trustworthy, and uh, therefore you should eat, you should take nourishment, and take heart. Be courageous, have that level of boldness. You're not going to die uh, in, this, in the sea, you're not going to die in the ship, uh, you're not, even though we run our ground, the ship breaks apart, you're not going to die there. You're going to get on this island, and from there you're on your own. Right? That's the promise. That's as far as the revelation goes, that everyone's going to be secure from this shipwreck. There is no lives going to be lost in the midst of this. That's the revelation that Paul received. He, now he has further revelation about himself, and that is that he's going to make it all the way to Rome. But that doesn't cover the other men and largely men, I would assume it's almost all men, on the ship. And so um, here are these others who are being told, take heart, take heart, take heart, eat, you're going to be delivered today, Um, and they're going to be the recipients of a blessing of God that is really given to 
fundamentally Paul, but really to all those of faith on board who believe God at his word. And today there are, I believe, around us many people who are blessed by the overflow of the presence of people of God in their midst. Do you remember the story of Joseph in Egypt? Think of the overflow of people who were benefited because of one man. In a land where there wasn't faith in God, one man. First it was Potiphar, the slave owner, was benefited by the presence of Joseph, and everything he put in Joseph's hand prospered. Do we then conclude that Potiphar is follower of the God of Israel? I don't think so. We look into the jail and we find the benefits there that are overflowing to those around him. We're not really told. In fact, it's pretty strong evidence that even the benefactor of the of his uh, interpretation of the dream forgot about Joseph. So that's a pretty strong indicator they didn't really follow the God of Joseph. It wasn't that important to him. It was just the benefit of having an interpreter there in jail helping you give you some direction. And then, of course, came the benefit to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And then it says even the whole world was saved through Joseph. He becomes a type spiritual type of Christ. The overflow of the blessing of God because of one man of faith. But we don't conclude that everyone then became a follower of Joseph's God. The indication is that Pharaoh did. This is the God. Joseph's God is the God. There's some historical evidence that there was a time when all the temples to the gods of the Egyptians were closed, shut down. Priests relieved of duties for a season. So Paul's instruction, take heart, is a very temporal one. For the time being, you are in a state of blessedness because you are receiving an overflow from the presence of people of God in your life. So the take heart that we find over and over again in chapter 27, including take some food, take some nourishment, it'll help you survive, and then verse, at the end of verse 34, for since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you in the midst of this, he took the things, took bread, gave thanks, you know, to God in the presence of them all. So they all heard the blessing. He had broken and began to eat. <laughs> Interesting, he ate, they didn't. And then they said, well, if he's going to eat, I guess we should eat too. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. They had all eaten enough. They pitched the rest overboard and they are ready to ram into the shore of Malta. And while the ship broke apart, all were delivered. Take heart, be encouraged, be strengthened, be nourished. Because on a very temporal basis, you're going to be blessed because of our presence. Because you're with me, you're going to receive some overflow. And I think there's a great risk 
of people in that condition thinking that because they have received the overflow of the blessing, that somehow they are in a right relationship with God as a result. But I want to remind you of the temporalness, the very limited time span that these statements are made, and that is with regard to this event, you are safe. In, in, in terms of this occasion, your life is spared. And it becomes more of a warning, but it can easily become something that we just take for granted or something that we uh, make assumption then that, well, if God's delivered me from the shipwreck, then certainly um, I am one of his children and I'm in a blessed state. No. I fear there are many in countries such as ours that believe such things. We hear these statements pretty regularly that, um, oh, you know, the United States is blessed by God and, and, and we sing the song, God Bless America, and, and we make the, uh, the assumptions for <laughs> decades upon decades, centuries, that we're a Christian nation, which really never was true, um, but we made those declarations, and we confused, I believe, the value of the presence of God's people and the overflowing blessing of that with the idea that everyone receiving the blessing was in a right relationship with God, which wasn't true at all. And so it's going to happen as they land on Malta, similarly. And it might be a little disconcerting to you at this point in the book to find where's Paul preaching Christ. But I think Luke has established the fact already in the book through several sample sermons that wherever Paul goes, he preaches Christ. But as we land on Malta, we have not only his, his uh, um, shipmates uh, that are stranded there as he is, but we now have the residents of Malta. And again, we are going to see them benefiting by the presence of Paul on their island. But we certainly do not confuse that with a right relationship with God. And I would not want any under the hearing of this message to think that because you have received some blessing that you may attribute to God, either directly or indirectly, that that equals a relationship with him. It does not. It could just mean that you happen to be raised in a very good Christian home and are receiving the blessings of godly parents. It could mean that you are simply in the uh, married a fine Christian person and are having the benefits of being married to another believe, uh, a believer. It could be that you are working with a godly boss. You are benefiting from it or having someone godly working for you. And here in Malta we find a similar circumstance. And there is something else I want to revisit here, too. Um, a second point, if you will, that's kind of a sub-point that's not related to the first point. They tell you never to preach that way, but they're out of here to correct me, so I'm going to preach that way anyway. Isn't that great? Once you graduate from college, none of your professors follow you around and correct you. They have all the opportunity to correct you while you're in their class, and they can say yes, no, mark it wrong, take off points. Once you graduate, they can't do that anymore, so they're not here, so I'm going to preach this way. So I have two points that are kind of 
distinct from each other. So it's a double-barrel morning. He lands on Malta, and the word Luke uses for the residents of Malta is not very kind. Um, in the New King James, they've, been, they've tried to be politically correct, I think, a little bit better, and they just say the natives. Uh, but the word there are the heathen, the, the, the uncivilized people of Malta. <laughs> uh, they're, they're essentially the unwashed if you will, uh, from a Jewish perspective. And so the, the term there in verse 2, um, in the center margin, says the barbarians, the uncivilized people of Malta. Uh, they have, there are in the Roman Empire, they have a Roman magistrate that we're going to meet here very shortly. Um, but they live in a, he's a magistrate over a pretty remote island that is not really in step with what's going on in Rome. Let's just put it like that. It, it, you know, they don't wear the name brands, and they, they just don't have the sophistication of Rome at all, uh, which is a far cry from the other place we've been in Jerusalem and Antioch and, and Corinth and Ephesus. All those places are really right in step with Rome. And all the sophistication and all the, 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 uh, the grandeur of Rome. But we get to Malta, and that's just not the case. This is that remote outpost. You wonder what, what Publius did to deserve such a thing. <laughs> to be posted there. But uh, he's there as the representative of the Roman government. Um, but Luke describes them as barbarians. They're just, this is just an uncivilized group. And, but they treated us, they received us. And that's surprising. They were generous and, and cared about the fact that we we're all swimming in from the ocean. They apparently witnessed the breakup of this ship. Uh, it's still storming and it's nasty weather. And they're going to provide some creaturely comforts uh, for these um, victims of this shipwreck. Um, but the idea is, well, Luke's feeling is almost that um, we're just glad they didn't skin us and eat us. Uh, it's, it's almost that attitude. They showed us unusual kindness. We weren't expecting that at all from them. They make a fire. They make them all welcome. Try to warm them. And in the midst of this, Paul is going to participate. And I love this part, this little, little image. And this is not even one of the two main points. This is just totally rabbit trail. All right. Do you see a servant, Paul? Now, he just delivered the ship. He's a deliverer of the revelation of God. But you don't find him finding a comfortable seat and says, all right, I got you guys all on the land now. You take care of everything. He's still picking up bundles of stick and throwing it on the fire himself. He's taking care of these like they're his family. This is not a young man at this point anymore. Please remove that idea of Paul. And this is also a man that is dealing with all of the effects of the beatings and stonings and just age upon his body. And he still has a servant's heart. That he's going to be out there picking up fuel for this fire to keep everyone warm. When you would think this old guy, who has already benefited everyone so much, would be the one being served, we find him serving. Great picture of Paul. I followed that rabbit trail just enough. I hope. 
So he comes in, and of course, in the midst of this service, <laughs> and by the way, some of you might have felt like that yesterday, you know, oh, I did all this, and now this had to happen. Um, but in the middle of this service, he gets bit by a viper. And much like in the day, we still have a lot of weird ideas about what happened that day. We have some that want to discount it as not important because the viper wasn't really poisonous. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure the Malta residents um, knew which vipers on their island were poisonous and which weren't. And it was very obvious that they had full expectation of what would happen based upon experience of other people, that he's going to bloat up and die. That's what everyone else did. They got bit by this creature. So there was no confusion of whether it was a venomous or non-venomous snake. But Paul picks up a pile of sticks, and in the pile of sticks is a viper. And because of the cold, it's not moving very well. Um, But as soon as it gets close to that fire and gets a little warm in his blood, it, it pops out, latches onto Paul, and has plenty of opportunity to place the venom in Paul's body, and Paul's reaction um, is to, is pretty interesting by itself, because he already knows what his end is, right? He's not going to die on Malta. He's got to get to Rome. Oh, I got bit by a viper, shakes it off into the fire, and goes about his business. He's, he's unmoved by it. He's unfazed. It doesn't, he doesn't miss a step. He just flicks it off into there and goes about his business. And uh, everyone's... Uh, Watching, and their conclusion is one of suspicion because they are superstitious people. Remember, they are the uncultured, unsophisticated, uncivilized. They're brutes, if you will. They're uneducated. Um, and so from, from the perspective of the Romans, these were barbaric people. And so they're filled with superstition, which is kind of interesting because their ultimate response isn't much different than the very sophisticated people uh, the last time we find Paul doing a very powerful supernatural healing, they wanted to worship them as the gods. Zeus and Mercury, remember? We're going to get to that conclusion. But in, in dealing with these superstitious people, um, they look at it and their conclusion is that fate has tracked him down. He avoided it in the shipwreck. He should have been the one to die out there. Um, fate has tracked him down now that while he avoided that, it got him here. And they got the totally the run end of the stick on this matter because this is the guy that delivered, and now he's being accused of being the problem. And we have just seen some evidence of that from India. We're here, a community where uh, Pastor Karan is pastoring, and, and God's doing great things to this church, and one of the prominent men of the community is healed and uh, and is serving the Lord, and and the, that the enemies of Christ make these accusations. It's not raining because of these people. It's not raining because of the church. And they arrest Pastor Quran, and we share with that, we would, with that, we shared that with you last Sunday night. They arrest him. They're going to put him uh, in, in inquisition kind of thing. They're going to uh, investigate it with him. Of, uh, and before they can get to it, suddenly the rains come pouring down and keep coming down and keep coming, and keep coming, until they let him loose. 
And even after that, it keeps coming in every rain barrel, every pond, every, every depression in the whole village is filled with water. Yes, God still does that kind of stuff. Isn't that great? So these superstitious barbarians, heathen, got the wrong end of the stick. And here, this takes me back to my first point. Here's a man who is blessing everyone with the overflow of God's blessing on him. Being accused of being a murderer. Being falsely accused simply because of being involved in the midst of this, even though he is the one bright light in this otherwise dark scene. He is the, he is the means of deliverance. They have gotten the entire other side of it and thought of him as a guilty one who can't escape fate herself. And they're going to watch. And I love that. They're going to watch him. You can just imagine them walking by, and every now and then, is his hand even swelling? I mean, something's got to be happening here. It's been, there's been plenty of time. We know this. He should. And after a while, they realize this guy isn't, has no ill effects. He's not foaming them out. He's not doing nothing. There's no evidence of anything. And so then, in the middle of chapter, verse 6, we find they changed their minds. And you wonder how many people in Quran's village changed their minds. And ultimately that is one of the things we ask for God to do is to work in us in such a manner to change people's minds. Now it doesn't mean that they have changed their mind about who God is and about, uh, and about their relationship with God. That's really not there yet. We're hopefully going to get there. Uh, but at this point, simply changing their minds about the servant of God. That then it offers an opportunity for us to give testimony to God. But the first thing that needs to change is their minds about the servant of God. Here's the bringer of the revelation. And the, the shipmates have already benefited. Those, those uh, 275 people have benefited from, from that one other But that was different for these. They didn't see that. And they saw this man as guilty. Someone that fate has caught up with. And God intervenes to change their mind. And this becomes a theme of the end of the book of Acts. Of people changing their mind. Not necessarily coming into a right relationship with God. We saw that already. King Agrippa, you almost persuade me. I've really, I'm really changing my mind. Even the centurion who had responsibility over Paul changed his mind. I've got to start listening to this guy, not ignoring him. And now the residents of Malta have changed their mind. Um, and unfortunately, that didn't equal that they got into the balanced position they should have been in. Instead, they changed their mind and went to the extreme the other way. And you're like, oh, man, now i got to deal with this. And he's already dealt with this before, being called a god and being worshipped. He's dealt with that in the past, and I'm sure he dealt with this similarly to that occasion. 
And so they change their mind. They go in the wrong direction again. And because that's what they've had available, either the gods are against you, or if you can do something like that, you must be a god. And in that context, Paul has an opportunity to extend the power of God's blessing to those around him. And it begins with Publius and his father delivering him from his illness in verse 8. Verse 9, once that was done, everyone else on the island who had diseases came. They were healed. They honored us in many ways and essentially took care of Paul and his entourage providing everything they needed. And this is going to go on for three months. For three months, they're going to be on this island waiting for another ship. They're, they've passed the seafaring time. When it's safe to do that, another Alexandrian ship is going to come and pick them up. But for three months, Paul has uh, assigned ministry on the island of Malta. And we have him coming back to something that we haven't seen for a long time. And that is a very powerful uh, supernatural ministry of healing uh, and certainly of other activity that going back all the way to the vipers strike. And when I say, well, where has that been? Where has that been in Paul's ministry? Because we really haven't seen it. And in fact, uh, if anything, Luke has kind of distanced himself from it more and more as Paul's ministry became more and more gentilian. Uh, it seemed that Paul used that less and less. Remember the disaster with Paul and Barnabas uh, healing the man when he just looks at him and says, stand up, be healed. And the lay man gets up and walks and, and, oh, it's the gods. And it seems like Paul almost is, is backing away from the use of the power of God in this fashion. And now he has revisited in a very strong way. And we might say, why? Why all of a sudden are we back to focusing on this facet of ministry when we haven't really seen it in Paul's ministry extensively. We, we did see the young man, Eutychus, that fell out of the window and Paul went and laid upon him and, and brought him back to, uh, into the room alive. And, and so we saw some evidence that that was there, um, but we don't see an emphasis on it until we come here. Historically, we always come to the book of Acts and see that that backing off from uh, those supernatural outworkings of the apostolic age and, and focus on the fact that we are moving from the Jewish ministry into a Gentilian ministry. And the Jews were told to look for these things while the Gentiles did not receive such prophetic utterances. But certainly we see in the, in the city of Corinth that they were speaking in other languages, um, that that gift was still available and prevalent in the church, um, but it was being abused. And Paul's instructions to them uh, are very clear that that needs to cease. And the abuses, the abuses need to cease right away, and we must be recognizing that that action is going to come to a close as well, before the church age closes. 
And uh, very soon is the evidence from Paul's writing in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And so Paul himself has moved away from it. But now we come to another group of people. And I would contend that all through Acts, Paul has focused his ministry more and more and more and more on reasoning from the Scriptures. Because he is dealing largely with a people group that give value to that, that are invested in that, that are educated, that, that seek to go after the ideas of truth and of philosophy and, and things like that. They are, they are sophisticated, they are civilized. And Paul approaches them from that perspective. But when we come on the island of Malta, we have a very different crowd, if you will. Paul can't start with a written word. We have no evidence these people were even literate. And so where does Paul begin? He begins by the expression of the power of God to these individuals. And in fact, historically, even into our modern age, uh, we hear stories from the mission field and we go, wow, what is that? why does that always happen everywhere? Because we are not barbarians. We are not uneducated and we do not live in a society and a culture that requires this because we are not steeped in superstition as our only understanding of the world. But when you are steeped in a superstitious culture and we come in and we are coming in with the truth of God uh, to a group whose language has never been put to writing, and I would challenge you to really examine those missionary stories to see how many of them are to such people groups. And they will give testimony to God exerting power, supernatural events in front of those kinds of people to overcome that superstitious wariness of the message being told. And I remember growing up, I was a voracious reader of missionary stories and going, oh, boy, I want to go out there and, if nothing else, just to see these kinds of things happen. And I got stuck in New Mexico. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and I struggle with that. Well, you know, our church's position is that, you know, we don't focus or emphasize that, and yet we see it here towards the very end of Paul's ministry employed. But I want you to notice that we don't find it employed in Rome. When he gets to Rome, you don't find them lining up at the house of the jailer to bring their ill people. But on Malta, it was necessary. Because there was not an opportunity, there was not a foundation to reason with them. Because they're so steeped in their superstition. And we see that when we sent missionaries out into the jungles of South America, into the, into the darkest parts of Africa, and even into parts of Asia, and, and uh, uh, you find them encountering those kinds of people, and you, and you hear, and they, they, they share how God worked mightily in fashions that we would be uncomfortable with. And yet God used that because you weren't dealing with a set of laws. You weren't dealing with with civilization as we know it. You're dealing with witch doctors. You're dealing directly with demons not hidden by mental illness ideas, um, direct and having open power. And we have all of this... uh, spiritual warfare in the realm of superstition in their lives uh, 
being the only basis of what these people believe is true. And God exerts himself. And I believe that's what happened here in Malta. That God will exert himself. And yes, there's even places in not so distant a place from here, uh, in some places around New Mexico that are steeped in this kind of of superstition. And when you encounter that, you encounter it full blast. And when you come to people who believe firmly in voodoo, and we have our brethren in Port-au-Prince that are dealing with that all the time, our prayer is, Lord, that's, they're uneducated. We don't have a basis for truth. All they believe is the voodoo of the voodoo priests. Show your power. And you go down in some places of New Mexico and Mex- Old Mexico, and they believe in the power of the bruja and the curses. We go in and say, God, show your power. But there is a level of barbarianism to it. There is not a reasoning there. But Paul consistently, when he is dealing with the Roman people, these are people who are educated and trained, that, that, that are literate, that, that love truth, that consider their ways and, and are not steeped in this kind. Even with all of their... <laughs> With their pantheon of gods, there's still reasonableness there. There are, there are stories and virtues there they're trying to extol and deal with in that. And Paul here finds himself uh, among barbarians, and so God works in a manner that touches them very powerfully and directly and opens the way for the message. No, I'm not a god. But here's a man who can heal, and none of your shamans, none of your witches, none of your your medicine men, none of them can do that. And they bring him, and for three months, and this is another facet of this, this had to be powerful and very evident to everyone um, because of the limited time span that Paul had to influence this island of people. Three months, Paul ministers there in this very powerful way. And one of the wonders of Christianity is wherever it goes, we very, very quickly do two things. Very quickly, we teach people to read. And very quickly, we put their language into writing so that we can bring God's word to them in their own tongue. And translation work is so important. Even in this day, you think, oh, everyone's got a written language, and there are, we are down now to dealing with uh, very minor dialects, but we are still involved in that process of translating God's word. Why? Because they must have revelation to be delivered. Just because they have revelation doesn't mean they will be delivered. They must have the revelation to be delivered. And here, the revelation of God through Paul in this, in this circumstance was through the direct, powerful working of the Holy Spirit to overcome illness, disease, and demons and be able to influence that and even the, the work of vipers on his own body um, to move them to now uh, understand that 
This is no magician. This is the real minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear him. So they would be receptive to the revelation. In the midst of all of this, you have to also consider that there is still a centurion watching Paul. There are still shipmates watching Paul. And given the response at the end of these three months given in verse 10, we may easily come to a conclusion that many on this island may have very well come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, but we cannot make the assumption of it. Because again, too many will think like many of the Israelites who were under the hand of God's judgment and said, oh no, we're the Israel of God, and so we can never be disowned. And they ignored the prophets. And the hand of God moved against them. Who thought that, well, because I'm a child of a child of a child of a child of Abraham... Therefore, I'm secure, regardless of my behavior and regardless of where I believe myself. You see, this is nothing new. To think that because I've received the blessings of God, because I'm around other people of God, that I confuse that with a relationship with God. You are surrounded in your life by people who have been blessed because our nation has such a body of the church in her. And they have confused that with a relationship with God, that somehow they can, at any time that some tragedy occurs, pray. And this week, again, We hear officials saying our thoughts and prayers are with them, and I always scratch my head, have you been praying yet? And we see people praying over political candidates that are spewing out horrible things out of their mouth. And we confuse the overflow of the blessing of a very small minority with a relationship with God that delivers the soul. And this was nothing new in all of scriptures. We find God delivering because of one, because of just a few. We find ungodly people receiving enormous blessing because of one godly man. Jacob goes and serves his father-in-law, Laban. Laban, blessed by Jacob's presence and becomes incredibly wealthy. But he is not a follower of God. And so we find that the people of Malta are going to receive many blessings. The shipmates of Paul are going to receive many blessings but we dare not confuse that with them all coming to a right relationship with God. 
And nor should you confuse the fact that because people around you um, are living a charmed life, we, I use that term very unwillingly, because they have lived among a, in a land that has been so influenced by Christianity, though not being a Christian nation, being influenced by the presence of so many believers in Christ, that they confuse that with having the approval of God in their life and in their actions. And like many Israelites who were to the very day of Syria's and Assyria's attack, even with Jerusalem surrounded, were convinced that they didn't have to do anything. And God just had to deliver them because they were Israel. And I fear that too many think they have to do nothing. Why? Because I'm an American. Because I was born here. Because my parents were. Because my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. You know, I've had people tell me that. And trust in that. And... They have benefited from that, yet they did not have a relationship with God themselves. And so, we are called to be a blessing among many nations. Israel was. We don't confuse that blessing with a relationship. And so as you go out, be a blessing. People around you should take heart because of the revelation of God that you bring to them. It gives them a hope, a chance It is a light in the darkness of their despair. But do not confuse their joy at seeing a light with becoming one of the light. One of the great hazards is when you counsel people and bring them out of their situations of desperate straits that they created by their bad decisions is that they think then that everything is good because you fixed all their problems, but there's still one problem they never resolved. And that is their sin problem. When I was young in my ministry, I exposed our, not this church, but charities, Charity Baptist in Rio Rancho, to a set of videos and a man that made it his mission to try to help salvage the marriages of America. By putting out a series of videos, you know them well. Many of you probably do. In his series of videos, he got some very well-known, marginally Christianized Hollywood people involved as well, and put out a whole series of videos and shared all of these principles of having a happy marriage. I started to invest myself in that process of, yeah, we need to just fix marriages in our world, um, in our culture, in our society, in our city, in my community. But about two-thirds of the way through the series, I started, and I shouldn't have never taken that long. I should have recognized it right away. It started becoming worrisome to me. And here's what worried me, is nowhere in the midst of the videos was there any appeal to come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nowhere was it ever even said that the principles that he was teaching were out of the Bible. Ever. It was the appeal of human wisdom, and he's trying to bless the marriages of America without the message of Christ. 
And that Paul would never have allowed. So while people around you may be blessed by the overflow of God's work in your life, don't ever confuse that with completing your mission to them. Your mission is not complete till they've heard about Christ and their personal need for a Savior. They need to hear the revelation of God. You need to be the messenger of it. So certainly bless them by, by the, your presence, the overflow of your blessing and your hard work and the benefits that it is to your employer. Bless them by the calmness and the peace that you introduce into the bag because you're blessed are the peacemakers. And so bless them with all of that. But don't confuse that with our job of being the presenters of the revelation of Jesus Christ to them. That brings deliverance that lasts an eternity. In the midst of blessing people, don't forget to give them the greatest blessing, and that is the revelation of God. And so I stopped promoting that, and I went to a pastor's fellowship, and I spoke against it, made some enemies there. (laughs) Um, But ultimately, if we try to lead people to walk and live right without Jesus, we are not helping them. We are doing them a disservice. For they will think that because they have fewer problems, they must be right with God, when in fact, they don't have a relationship with God at all. And there's no more frightening condition to be in to think, we're safe because we're the children of Israel. I'm safe because I'm a child of a preacher man. I'm safe because I'm in this country. I must be a Christian. That is a very dangerous place to be in because now you don't think you have a need. And so you will not be looking for a deliverer, let alone listening to the revelation of the prophet. Paul wouldn't have let that happen. So we are certain that while Luke has not recorded his messages to the people, it is evident from all of his life that he would have ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ even in the midst of his time in Malta. As some, perhaps many, may receive him as Savior and Lord. And this is our calling today. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for the opportunity to look in your word. And Lord, how precious it is. We think that the power is most evident in miracles and healings, but Lord, the power is in your revelation that transform lives, and we have an opportunity to reason with people around us. And Lord, we thank you for your word in our own language here that we can use to do so, and we pray for your spirit to work through us that we might give an answer of the, the hope that is in us. Lord, we know that there are times when it is necessary because of the darkness and the superstition of those we encounter where your power must be expressed in other ways, but not to the exclusion of your revelation, not to the exclusion of your word, but only to draw people towards it. Lord, we thank you that you intervene. As you've intervened and continue to intervene in India, we see there's a darkness there. There's a, a great amount of ignorance and superstition that must be overcome 
Lord, we pray your hand of power work there. There are even pockets of such ignorance and superstition amongst our nation and even this community. And Lord, we pray that you might demonstrate yourself there. That we might direct people not to worship us as gods or think we are something. But rather that we might show them your revelation. Lord, help us to have your word in our lives and on our lips this week. Maybe as we've never done in weeks past. To your honor, praise and glory, and for the deliverance of all who would heed your truth. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.